Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and again reading from verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, take your word now and wing it to every heart. Lord, let not one of us leave here this morning without having an encounter with you, with your Son, with your Spirit. Let not one leave here this morning without being built up upon their most holy faith and encouraged in the faith. Let not one leave here without having a revelation of God this morning, who you are. Lord, bring it fresh to those who have heard it time and time again. But Lord, make it real to every one of us of our great God and whom he is, what he has done and all that he has accomplished in the person of his wonderful, beautiful, glorious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So shut us in with yourself and speak to every heart. For Jesus' name's sake we ask it. Amen. Strange that uh, for two weeks I felt led to go off this series. Sometimes a series can become, well, it's just another part of a, a message or a sermon and so on. But I felt led for two weeks, four lepers in the will of God. And I think last week was something like five blessings of God to the believer. And sometimes I wonder myself, because I pray for every meeting, for every message, to every meeting. I don't go, I was talking about, to someone about this during the week, believe it or not, and I don't go and download sermons off the internet. <laughs> I know there may be a few who do, but I don't. I read the word, seek the face of God, get something from the Lord, even if it's a, a word or a line, or a verse, or a chapter, or even a narrative, and it's, the Lord would wing it to my heart, and print it in my mind, and I take it, and pray about it, read it, and pray about it, read it, and pray about it, keep doing that, until the Lord shows me, what he wants me to see in it, I do study, all the time, continually, but, I wonder sometimes, Lord, when I'm, bringing a message, bringing a word, and then I change it there, on that spot, have I got it wrong? Or what is it? This morning I asked the Lord to see him. I believe that the Lord has shown me, you didn't get it wrong. It's what I wanted to do for two mornings in a row. Sunday mornings, that is. Because this morning I believe that if you listen, if you can hear with the inner ear, if you can take it in to the inner man and to the inner woman, if you can receive it, I believe this morning's message is meant to be for this morning. And this morning's message, I got even more fresh stuff in my study this morning before I came out again. And I thought I'll bring this then as well among the message ties in 
with old covenant sympathy and new covenant empathy. We have been looking how God himself, the one true living God now, not two gods, a God of an Old Testament and a God of a new. The one true living God, he, he reveals himself to Adam. Adam falls in the garden. We know the story. We all become sinners in Adam. We all need rescued. We all need saved. We all need forgiven. Every single one of us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. So there's no difference. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we know that in the plan and the purpose and the will and the mind of God, God would send his son, his son would come, his son would bleed and die on the cross of Calvary. He would keep the law that you and I could never keep. That is the law of God. He'd live a life we couldn't live. And he would bear our sin and our sicknesses in his own body on the tree when he died at Calvary. Now, when he is resurrected, he's glorified. And he's exalted into the heavens. And he becomes known as our great high priest. So Jesus, the Son of God, is not only the Son of God, he's the Son of Man. He's God of very God. And he's a man of very man. Fully God, yet fully man. He is what's known as a dual nature within him. Sometimes in scripture he speaks as a man. Anointed by God. But it's always under the spirit of God. When he does his miracles he says he does nothing except what he sees the father do. So in other words as a man he's speaking. The father that dwelleth in me he doeth the works he says. And and when I do it he says I'm led by the father. So as a man he's led. So the idea is that God is sympathetic, if I can use that. The word sympathy isn't good in our English because we become sympathetic when it suits us. And our sympathy can run out and our sympathy can uh, be short in its span of time because when we are out of the presence of, say, a mourning company, then we forget about them because our lives carry us on. But God in his sympathetic ways never leaves us. He's neither forsaken us. And even in Israel's wanderings through the wilderness, the desert, and Egypt, God had always his eye upon them. Always sympathetic to who they were in his sight. So in other words, God knows all about us. As God, Jesus knows you. I want to look at that this morning. As God, Jesus knows everything about you. Inside and out, where you are, where you'll go, what you'll do, what you'll be, what he has in store for you, as well as plan, his purpose, his calling for you. And there's not one of you is without the calling of God. You're called by an effectual calling into salvation. Then in salvation, you're called again into ministry. And that ministry may be different than your brother's ministry, your sister's ministry. But Christ has a ministry for you. You're called. You're saved with a purpose in the plan and the will of God. There's not one of you who are in Christ this morning who Christ does not want to use for his glory. How could I glorify him? Listen, how could I glorify him? I'm no different than you. I'm flesh and blood like you. I'm no different than any man here. But for some reason, Christ has called me to this place, to this ministry of preaching his word. But you might be called to something different. You might be called to having a a prayer ministry where you're always interceding. 
You might have a ministry for children, a ministry for youth. I was talking to Bill Campbell at the door. Bill is so faithful at the door. Yeah, you have a ministry of welcoming people with a smile and a handshake and say, well, uh, you're very welcome in, in this place this morning. May the Lord bless you this morning or someone beside you. I was speaking to someone yesterday and they said about Jordy Walker. Really encouraged them on their first day in. He turned around and he says, hello, how are you? My name's Jordy. You know, it's all ministry. And they step with us. And they're here this morning. All ministry. Ministry is for you, brother. Ministry is for you, sister. And every one of you can seek the baptism in the Spirit. And every one of you can seek the anointing of the Spirit. Every one of you are called to pray for the sick. Every one of you are called to pray for the lost. Oh, we can accept that. But every one of you are called to pray for the sick. It's not just, a, a, I'll put it in brackets, a preacher or a pastor or a minister's role. It's your role too. It's your role. The same spirit who is in me is the same spirit who is in you. He hasn't changed. You have the same authority that I have to pray for sick. Not that I have any authority thinking I'm anything in myself, but I have the authority of the word. You have the authority of the word. That's what I'm saying. I have the authority of Jesus' name. You have the authority of Jesus' name. I have the authority to speak it out. You have the authority to speak it out. I have the authority to lay hands on the sick, and you have the authority to lay hands on the sick. I have the authority to pray for the unsaved. And you have the authority to pray for the unsaved. I have the keys of heaven. That is, whether a man or a woman accepts Christ or not. Then they're in glory or in Christ. And if they don't accept Christ, the key can be that you're not in Christ and you won't be in glory. You have the same. You have the same. So here we have our Lord Jesus as God, he knows all about you. As God, he knows all about me. Knows everything about us. That's man. As man, he understands me. As a man, he understands me. For look what it says in verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched. Notice with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, he understands our weaknesses. He understands your weakness. But was in all points tempted. Christ was in all points tempted like as we are. And we fail at every hurdle. We fall all the time. But notice, he was tempted in all points like you are knows what it's like, he understands it, but praise the Lord, he overcame the world, the flesh and the devil, but he was without sin. So when you're in Christ, you're reconciled unto God. You're in one spirit with God, and as he is before the Father, so you are here on earth. Now how does that sound? Is that not glorious? Is that not good to realize, I need to throw the shackles off religion off my shoulders? I need to throw the shackles of the condemnation that I've been pounded with and throw it off and drop it down and say, Lord, 
What must you think of me? This is marvelous word. God loves you. You're in Christ. He loves you. Yes, we walk right before God. Yes, we believe in right living. But we also believe that Christ is a forgiving, compassionate, and a wonderful Savior. Notice this. Notice this, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, seeing we have this, seeing we have him in the glory, the man standing in the glory, showing his wounds to the Father, that we're trusting in him. Seeing then we have a great high priest, notice that has passed into the heavens. By the way, see the word into, it's the word dia. And it means right through. In other words, Christ didn't go into another realm, and there's a, a dual realm here. He went right through the heavens. Right into the presence of the Father. Right through the heavens. That's the idea of it. That has passed into the heavens. Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Brother. Sister. In all honesty. In your heart. And in your mind. Whatever's happening. However you think. Whatever you're feeling. Answer yourself. Am I holding fast the profession of faith? Am I holding fast or am I letting my life before Christ slip? Am I letting things go? Am I starting to wane? Am I starting to disregard the promises of God? Am I starting to backslide in my mind, in my heart? You don't need to be in the clubs and the pubs to be backslidden. You don't need to be getting up to all sorts of filth and sin and depravity. You'll be backslidden in your heart where you no longer have the desire and love for Christ. No longer a passion in the life. Ask yourself this. In your own heart, am I holding fast the profession that I had for Christ? Is he still Lord of all? Is he still Lord over all? Is he still Lord at all? Ask yourself this. For here it is, if that be the reason, or if that be the thinking, if that be the purpose in your heart at the moment, here's the good news. There's a throne of grace. Here's the good news. You're in the right place this morning. Here's the good news. He says, come. We've been teaching this all the way through it. Come to me. 
I'll not cast you out. Come to me and I'll lighten your load. Come to me with your burdens. Come to me with your weariness. Come to me now with your broken heart. Come to me in your mourning. Come to me whenever your bitterness. Come to me, he says, and let at my feet. He says, come to the throne of grace. Will you come to the throne of grace? Whatever it is, maybe you just need a touch of God about you. Maybe you just need to draw close to him. Maybe you just need a little boost in your spirituality. Maybe you just need strengthened in the inner man or woman. He says, come to me. Come this morning. So, as God, he knows all about us. But as man, he understands us. Turn with me, please. I want to just show you a little verse. Excuse me. Turn with me, please, to um, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And let your eye run down to verse 16 and 17. Verily, he, the Lord Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now, what the writer's telling us here is, He wasn't an angelic being. He didn't come in a theophany the way he came to Joshua or to Abraham. In other words, a theophany is uh, is a visible angelic presence. Now, he's not an angel. He's God. But the idea is he came as an angel. God revealed himself in a spiritual form, but sometimes he looked like a man. He came to Abraham as a man. It says three angels, but it was three men, three messengers. But then he vanishes. Here it says he didn't come like that. He didn't come. God could have sent a big angel down. He could have sent a big angel to come and destroy cities. And he's he's done that before, like Sodom and Gomorrah. But he didn't send an angel down because an angel couldn't redeem us. An angel wouldn't be able to save you. An angel couldn't forgive you. There had to be shed blood and an angel doesn't have blood. It's a spiritual being. So he didn't take on, God didn't come as if he was an angel. He came in the seed of Abraham. In other words, he was born of a woman. He became flesh. And here we have the God man, Christ Jesus. Look at the next verse. Wherefore, because of this, in other words, wherefore, since he's like this, in other words, wherefore, In all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. In other words, made like unto a man. Flesh and blood. That that he, the Lord Jesus, might be, notice, a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. In other words, he had to become flesh. To reconcile us to God. He had to become flesh. To know and understand what you and I were going through. To understand our our, our flesh and all the things pertaining to it. He became flesh that he would be justified in the day of judgment. Because God is just in all his ways. And in the final day of the judgment of all men and women who will stand before God... God will be just in every direction he puts his justice. 
So he says here, look, I'm also became flesh that you may trust and believe in me. Can you see this? And those who reject Christ, who are not in Christ, who don't follow Christ, then the idea here is they are going to stand in judgment and God will be justified in his judgment toward that sinner who are not in Christ. But those who have been guilty of the most heinous crimes, who have committed all sorts of terrible sins, have broken the law of God, but have placed their faith in Christ and the Spirit of God now lives in them, who are under the blood and washed by the blood of Jesus, the justice of God will meet out mercy and salvation. And God is justified to those who have lived a healthy, a good, a happy, and a religious life, but yet are damned to the lost because they rejected Christ. God will be justified in saying, well, they, they may say, but Lord, that man came, he was a drunkard and, and he was a drug addict and he was a no-gooder and he got into trouble and he was in police cells and he done this, that and the other. And the Lord will look at me and he'll say, I don't see any of it for he trusted in my son. And he's just in that. Because I'm better than you or anybody else? No, not at all. I was the chiefest of all sinners but because of the grace and the mercy of God and the blood of the Lamb. And God will be justified in that. There'd be no sinner in a devil's hell. There'd be no sinner in a devil's punishment that will be able to say that day, God, you're unjust. Because Christ has died and they've rejected him. Worst, the worst of the chiefest of sinners are redeemed by the precious blood and washed in that blood, forgiven through the mercy of God. And the grace of God, although they fall a thousand times, raises them back up to where they are in God, teaching us who we are in God and that who God is in us. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a marvelous thing. Notice this. See the word here, behoved. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. Note the word behoved. This is a, a, it's a, a word of philo. And it means, listen to this, it means to owe something. Or owing to the nature of something. Now Christ owed nothing, so what does it mean it behoved him? Behoved God, it behoved Christ himself. What does it mean? What did he owe? The idea here is not that he owed anything. But owing to the nature of our problem. Brother, get this. Sister, get this. Owing to the nature of our problem. Our sin question. Owing to the nature of our flesh. Owing to the depravity of our inability to save ourselves. Owing to who we are in Adam. Owing to who you are in yourself. Owing to the genes, owing to the DNA, owing to the fallen nature, owing to the complete and total inability to raise ourselves from sin. Something had to happen. An angel couldn't do it. It took the Son of God. That's what it means. Owing to the nature or the cause that needed fixed. God the Father saw it, knew it, and his son 
the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. So owing to who we were and what we were and what we were are outside of Christ, it took the Lord to die. That's why men try and be saved by their works. They try and better themselves before God or by alms or deeds or good living or whatever, denominationalism. And none of it can save you, only Christ and Christ alone. Just him. Just Jesus. No matter what religion you are, no matter what denomination you are, as we say here in Ulster, no matter what foot you kick with, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on, as we say here. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want you to look with me, please, to uh, Psalm 139. I'm going to look at a few points in the psalm and I'm going to wrap this up this morning and I am going to have to do another morning maybe two we'll do one anyhow what we want to look at is you see you just keep your, your Bible open there and let me give you a few verses you see in Hebrews 4.13 says neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight? Okay? But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, God sees all. He sees it all. We tell children that to sort of try and, you know, I, the Lord's watching you. You know, I used to get that when I was growing up. God's watching you. So he is. <laughs> Psalm 139. Notice what it says. See in the psalm, by the way, I was just reading this and I've just marked it in my Bible, the fly from my Bible. I was just reading it and I seen it and it says, you know what? From verse 1 to verse 6, we see the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God. The omniscience of God is that God really is, to put it quite plainly, God is all-knowing. He knows all about you. The omniscience of God. God is all-knowing. All intelligence and all wisdom. God is all knowing. Verses 1 to 6. And say from verse 6, 7 to, to 10, we have the omnipresence of God. Now it's filters through other areas, but mainly we have the omnipresence of God. In other words, omnipresence is God is everywhere at once. God is everywhere at once. That's his omnipresence. Uh, uh, one Puritan Samuel Rutherford once says, God's uh, circumference, you know, you draw a line around and you say the circumference of a circle. It says, God's circumference is nowhere. In other words, he's everywhere. God's circumference is nowhere. But God's center is everywhere. God is as powerful in this meeting this morning as he is in glory. The Holy Ghost who is in you is the same Holy Ghost that raised Jesus from the dead. You see what I mean? It's, it's power. Is everywhere. His center is everywhere. But his circumference is nowhere because he, he is everywhere. His omnipresence is that God is everywhere. And when you let her, I run down from verse 10 to 13, we could say this is God's omnipotence. Omnipotence. Omnipotence means he is all powerful. He is all powerful. I want to do a, a few points just reading through this. I've mentioned a few things. And this is what I 
thought I'd bring. I got this. I'd written a verse or so down before. And I started reading this psalm this morning. This is all what came to me just before. As I was reading early this morning and praying, I thought I would just read over this. Notice this. First of all, God's omniscience. First one, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. There, he knows all about me. The idea of search is to look and to look well. Some say it means to get out a spade and dig over the soil. God can dig into the recesses of your heart that no one else knows about. Knows every secret thought of the life and he knows every hurt of your heart. Every single part of it. Thou search me and know me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. In other words, when we're resting or when we're active, my downsitting and mine uprising. God knows our thoughts. God knows us when we're sleeping. He knows our dreams. And he knows us when we're awake and working. And the idea also can mean that when we are sitting in his presence, God knows all we're coming for. God knows all that we have need of. And when we leave his presence, he causes us to rise up and to walk in his presence. He knows it all. So I know it's my downsetting, my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. Can you see how God knows you? See the word thou compass? It's hard to, it's hard to get this word in the Hebrew because there's a lot of, a couple of different ideas on it. This word can mean you scatter my ways, but it doesn't really read right. It's the term of it. It gives the idea that of, people, of things being scattered. We've talked about that on Sunday nights, but it's the same idea here. It's actually a word, zara. It's in the Hebrew. And it means to scatter, but it means everywhere you go, every place the sole of your foot will tread, every avenue you walk, wherever you're going for his glory, you'll find that there he is ready to bless. There he is ready to bless. See, when you're walking home, God wants to bless you. God is with you. He wants to give you victory. He wants to make you an overcomer. He wants you to be strong in the Lord and in the presence of his might. That's the idea. It also gives the idea of soldiers surrounding or hunters hunting. And it gives the idea, one, one old Puritan once says, gives the idea that the Lord's peeping at you. In other words, everywhere walking through a forest is like he's behind every tree looking at you. And he's watching you. And he's seeing how you're getting on. And he's seeing what you're doing. And he's watching for danger. And he's looking for trouble for you. And he's warding off the enemy. And he's taking away the wild beast. And he's looking at you from this tree and that one and this angle and that one. And you're walking around as if you're lost sometimes. And God's always at every tree, as it were, looking at you. That's one of the old Puritans put it like that. It's not a wonderful thing to think that no matter where you are, no matter how you feel, No matter what you're going through, God has his eye on you. And even when you think he's forgotten you, it's as though, excuse the expression, it's not he's really peeping around a tree. You know, I understand that. It's metaphorical. It's as though you're walking through a forest and he's peeping around every tree. I don't know if you're cruel like me. I would sometimes used to get Jody and Ellie and hide on them. And you're out somewhere, and I used to hide, and you keep watching them to see if they're all right. And they'd be around looking, where'd my daddy go? Yeah. 
I'm sure they remember it well. They were never out of my sight. I seen them walking about going, where'd he go? And I was peeping out. I'm watching them all the time. That's the idea. He compasseth my path. You're acquainted with all my ways, Lord. It gives the idea of someone who lives in the same house with someone. Alison says to me all the time, I would say, how did you know? The other day I went to go in. She was standing in the, in, in the, in, in the bedroom and I went to walk into the, the own suite. And I, as I went to walk in, I stopped at the door and I forgot what I was going in for. And she turned around and she says to me, if I, remember, I can't even remember what it was now myself, but she turns around and she says to me, your toothbrush is over there. <laughs> and I said, how do you know what I'm looking for? She says, I just know, I just know you. She's acquainted with all my ways. <laughs> That's the idea here. You're going, how did you know that, Lord? I see, I'm acquainted with you, son. How did you know what I'm looking for? I'm acquainted with you. I abide with you. I walk with you. I talk to you. I love you. I'm here with you. I'm peeping behind every tree, every house, everywhere you go. Daughter, I'm watching you. Watching you. I think... That must be a woman. Only women can do that because I'm not usually that tuned in, you know. I don't know if you are, brother, but Alison can nearly tell me what I'm thinking at times. See, you get tuned in to them. You're acquainted with them. Let me go on quickly. For there is not a word in my tongue, for lo, Lord, thou dost know it all together. Lord, I'm coming. I'm just going to sit here, Lord, because I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to speak and I don't know how to pronounce this and I just don't know what's in my heart, how to express it. And the Lord says, it's all right because I already know it before you tell me. I know what you're like before you even speak it. I know what you want to say before you open your mouth. I know. Thou beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. I'm not going to I'm not going to mention every verse here. We'll go on. Whither or such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high. I cannot attain unto it. Notice verse 7 now. We're going into God's omnipresence. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? I have something to tell you, brother. You can't run from God. Jonah tried it. And the Lord had already prepared a big whale or a great fish. Do you know, people think, well, the Lord prepared a fish. The Lord actually had a fish ready. In fact, was that fish a year old? Was it 10 years old? Was it 50 years old? I don't know. But God knew before Jonah ran that Jonah was going to run. And the Lord says, see that fish there? By the time it's certain age, it's going to catch Jonah in his mouth. So don't you think you're going to take God by surprise? And don't think your circumstances take God by surprise. God has already got someone lined up down the street. Someone lined up around the corner. Something's going to open up. Some door's ready to swing open for you. God has already prepared it from before the foundation of the world. He says to, He said unto Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God has already got it all planned out for you. And you might walk down a street and you might open a door and you might walk into a room and someone has the answer to your problem. You can't run away from God. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Because you're omnipresent, Lord. You're everywhere. Listen to what he says. 
Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. No matter where you are, no matter how you feel, your salvation is not based on your feelings. It's not based on who you are or what you've done or what you can attain. Neither is your relationship with Christ. It's based on who he is. My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows, said the old hymn writer. And all of our relationship, it all depends on rests on Christ. Everything. Here's a a wee nugget for you. See what he says here, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. This is what I wrote this morning. He says, where shall I flee from thy presence? Your presence is there. This is what I wrote just here this morning. The presence of his glory is in heaven. The presence of his power is on earth. And the presence of his justice is in hell. But the presence of his grace is with his people. It's with his people. If I take the wings of the morning and fly to the othermost part of the earth, do you know what the wings of the morning are? Some people think the wings of the morning, the psalmist is saying, look, if I could grow big wings and fly or get on the back of a large bird, some people might even term it in the year 2014 as an aeroplane, but it's not that at all. The wings of the morning was when the day star of the morning rose up on the east. It was the when the sun comes up in the east and the first beams of light that shot across the earth as though going from the east to the west. That's the wings of the morning. Gives the idea, the psalmist says, the speed that the, suddenly there's no light, then there's light. There's beams of light. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. I think it's 671 million miles per hour. That works out. You do your maths. I didn't think that up. I read that before just in case you thought I had a mind of a a mathematical genius, by the way. I think if I remember right, that's what it is. But you imagine 186,000 miles per second. Per second. He says, if I get on one of those beams of light and traveled at that speed, he says, Lord, by the time that light would run out, wherever that may be, it just keeps going on. He says, at that speed, you'd get off that bus and you would say, oh, I'm away from God's presence. And the Lord would say, son, I've been waiting for you. What kept you? What kept you? Daughter, I'm waiting for you. What's kept you? That's the idea of this. You can't outrun God. You can't outdo God. And you can't hide from God. And even in your darkest moments, even in your hardest times, even whenever you're hiding in your heart, God says, I'm there. I'm there. And he upholds you with his right hand. And he says, keep going on with me because I am with you. I will never leave thee, 
nor forsake thee. Isn't he a wonderful God? I have so much more to show you in that psalm. I'll maybe start there next week. Too much in it. I just read that this morning and it just started jumping out at me and I thought I'm going to put this in with the word this morning. Of a lot more. What's that got to do with old covenant sympathy, new covenant empathy and the, the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we're going to look, as God, he knows me. He's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient. All powerful, he's everywhere, all knowing. Steps into a body of flesh. Seed of Abraham. Made like an unto our brethren. And he walks the walk we can't walk. And he gets nailed to the cross for our sin. Sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And men try to run from him and hide and refuse him, don't come to him. And the idea is that you and I now can go to our resurrected, glorified, ascended Savior right to the throne room of God and take our burdens to the Lord. May God bless his word. We'll go on in this in the Lord's will next week and we'll see how the Lord will lead us. God bless you. I think that's about part 12 or something. Is it David?